Hey there, and welcome back to Take One, the podcast that brings you just one page of Talmud each day. And today, dear friends, is not going to be a regular episode. In fact, this entire week is going to be very different. And not because it leads us from the opening of the Book of Life on Rosh Hashanah to its closing on Yom Kippur, inside it the names of those of us who will be lucky enough to enjoy another year of health and joy and meaning, and those of us who, alas, will not. This week on this podcast is going to be very special for two other and absolutely thrilling reasons. First, and I can't believe I'm saying this, this week marks the halfway point on our journey to read the entire Talmud. Yep, you heard that right. We've read and argued about one half of the Talmud with its 63 tractates and 2,711 pages. That alone is reason to crack open a bottle of something fine and commend ourselves for our achievement. But we're Talmud lovers, which means we're never satisfied We're never going to just sit down and relax. We're never content to rest on our laurels. We want more. We want to see the bigger picture. We want to understand where all this is going. Maybe we missed a few pages or a tractate or nine. Maybe we only started learning yesterday. Maybe we were there from day one, but it's been such a long time that we kind of need a refresher to remind us what we've read. If that's the case, if any of these apply... I have a bit of good news. Very much inspired by the journey we are taking together on this podcast, I wrote a book. It's called How the Talmud Can Change Your Life, Surprisingly Modern Advice from a Very Old Book. And it's coming out in a few weeks from W.W. Norton. Like the Talmud itself, it's kind of really hard to describe. It's one part history of the Talmud and how it came to be written, one part introduction to its amazing rabbis, truly the superheroes of antiquity, and one part introduction to how the Talmud thinks and argues and sees the world. But most of all, my book makes a very bold and I firmly believe very true claim. I argue that in touching on virtually every human experience, from passing wind to praying, The Talmud is humanity's first, greatest, and still most astonishing self-help book. I don't mean this, of course, in the sort of silly way. The Talmud isn't the rules or who moved my cheese or any of those modern and lovely but ultimately kind of frivolous guides to life. The Talmud instead gets right down to the heart of everything and anything that is human and gives us a way to deal with circumstances and emotions that are often just too overwhelming for any one person to figure out for him or herself. How to deal with grief, how to keep the flame going in your marriage, how to be a better friend. The Talmud has answers and they are as profound as they are shockingly relevant to all of us today. This is why I open every chapter in the book with a modern story from how Weight Watchers got its start to the very dramatic conversation that led to the creation of both the Lord of the Rings trilogy and the Narnia series, and how these major pillars of contemporary culture and life owe a lot, directly or sometimes indirectly, to the wisdom of the Talmud. 
And if you enjoy this podcast, I think you're going to like this book, which is why at the end of this episode, we're going to offer you a very special chance to pre-order it and win a bunch of really fun and Talmudic, of course, themed prizes. So to celebrate our massive achievement of making it halfway through and in the spirit of the new book, we want to take this week and do something a little bit different. This week, we want to go ahead and make the point, bluntly and without reservations, that the Talmud can indeed change your life. We'll be offering a lot of surprises as the week goes on, but each day we will share one key insight from the Talmud we believe is a very good bit of advice all of us should act on here and now. It's a perfect way to kick off Taf Shin Pei Dalet, the new Jewish year. Need some Jewish New Year's resolutions? We've got your back, and we kick things off with number one, seemingly smallish, but oh-so-important thing the Talmud can teach you on how to lead a better life. It's this. Make time. Sure, great. How? The Talmud is obsessed with this question, which is why it opens its very first volume, the very first page of the Talmud, with the word me'ematai, or from when. The rabbis know that time is truly the greatest mystery people face. Space, we can always explore at will, discovering new corners of the universe, but time remains shrouded in speculation. I don't just mean kooky sci-fi stuff like time travel. I mean just organizing your day. We have families, we have jobs, we have responsibilities, we have hobbies, we have Netflix shows to watch, and we wake up in the morning and so often we feel like we're off to the races with about 33 hours worth of things to cram in and only 24 hours in the day. No wonder then that the American Psychological Association recently reported that 20% of American adults are chronic procrastinators. So overwhelmed by how much they have to do and how little time they have to do it all that they'd rather just, you know, sit and watch old Pepsi commercials on YouTube or something than get down to work. The rabbis understood this feeling very, very intimately, which is why they opened up the Mishnah itself in this way. From when does one recite Shema in the evening? From the time when the priests enter to partake of their terumah until the end of the first watch. That is the statement of Rabbi Eliezer. The rabbis say, until midnight. Rabban Gamliel says, until dawn. There was an incident where Rabban Gamliel's sons returned from a wedding hall. They said to him, we did not recite Shema. He said to them, if the dawn has not yet arrived, you are obligated to recite Shema. And not only that, but rather, wherever the rabbis say until midnight, the mitzvah may be performed until dawn. The burning of fats and limbs, the mitzvah may be performed until dawn. And all that are eaten for one day, the mitzvah may be performed until dawn. If so, why did the sages say until midnight? In order to distance a person from transgression. So begins the Mishnah. What can we learn from this super dense and kind of, let's be honest, inscrutable paragraph? Unless we are steeped in rabbinic law, probably very little about the actual question at hand, which deals with the time when Jews must recite the Shema, the central prayer of both the morning and evening services. But even to the uninitiated, the passage is telling. Why is the question of timing so central? Why not kick things off with an explanation of the meaning of the Shema? 
or its centrality to Jewish theology, or what we're supposed to be thinking about when we pray, or why we believe that prayers even matter. Wouldn't that be a little bit better? Why not, in other words, lure readers in with ideas or feelings before saddling them with what appears to be a rather kind of trivial technical question? And then there's the prose. The Mishnah still very much a product of oral culture, repeats itself in clear and easy-to-memorize sentences. The mitzvah, or commandment, may be performed until dawn, and often transmits snippets of direct dialogue. What it doesn't do is bother to fill in the gaps. What is the truma? It is the portion of produce that is offered to the priests as a sacrifice. What's that about the burning of fat and limbs? It's Rabban Gamliel explaining that the priests, often overwhelmed by the volume of offerings, burned them on the altar all night and into the morning. He uses it to make the analogy that prayers, another kind of offering to God, may be concluded before sunrise as well. But why go on for so long about priests and sacrifices? We say the Shema in private. The priests performed their duties publicly in the temple. The contemporary scholar Rabbi Avraham Wolfish explains that this probably holds a coded message. The Mishnah tethers the times of reciting the Shema to the priestly schedule because now that the temple is gone, each of us should see ourselves as a priest and every synagogue as a tiny shard of the temple. Everything we do should be understood as a stand-in for the temple rituals. This turns the Jewish people's central calamity the loss of God's earthly home in Jerusalem, into an opportunity for empowerment, elevating each one of us to an exalted rank where each one of us a priest. How might we pull off such a mystical transformation? The Mishnah saves the best for last, setting off one last bit of insight like a depth charge. Think about the central question at hand here. If we go by the priests in the temple and the priests attend their altar all night long, why cap the saying of Shema at midnight? The answer the Mishnah gives is brief, in order to distance a person from transgression. But it contains multitudes. To understand it, imagine returning home after a long day at the office. You know you're still obligated to pray, but if tradition permits you to conclude your business at any time before the night's over, you may be forgiven for not exactly rushing to the task. Remember, about a fifth of us are procrastinators, after all. So first, you may have a martini to dull the day's edge, and then dinner, and some time with the spouse and the kids, then maybe an hour or two of TV and a little stretch on the couch. Hours pass, and you startle yourself awake, realizing that it's already morning. You may no longer recite the night's Shema. You have abdicated your responsibility. Better, then, the Mishnah argues, to set an earlier artificial deadline just to make sure well-intentioned but hurried and tired and preoccupied people don't fall behind and needlessly stumble into sin. It's a Talmudic principle known as making a fence around the Torah. It teaches even those of us who aren't believers to identify the things we hold most dear and then take every precaution necessary to make sure we don't mess them up. This is why each page of the Talmud begins with a snippet of Mishnah and includes sidebars of interpretation and elucidation. The text itself is just an invitation to inquire. The confluence of the sacred and the mundane, the ephemeral and the practical, quickly transformed the Mishnah into a text seen as holding transformational powers.
And is there a more transformational power than making time? We cap the prayer at midnight because we understand that time is something that must be managed, sectioned off, contemplated, planned, and structured. Leap into it with abandon and it will carry you away and leave you washed up and bewildered. When you enter into time, better have a plan and better make sure that if there's something important to do, you set a very specific time for it. This is why we're encouraged to be kuvah itim, or scheduling regular times each day for things that matter, like studying Torah. It's a life hack as easy as it is profound. Switch on your Google Calendar or Paper Day Planner or whatever you use and block off at least 10 minutes every day, same time each day, please, for something that you find immensely important. I, of course, recommend Talmud study, hey, but it could be meditation or time with a loved one or anything else that moves you and nurtures you and reminds you of what truly matters in life. The key is to make time rather than let time take you over. We'll have more of these Talmudic life lessons in days to come and a lot more surprises coming your way. But for now, here is what we would love for you to do. If you enjoy the show, and want to know a little bit more about the Talmud and how it could change your life, please pre-order the new book now. You could do it through your local bookstore or directly through the publisher's link that we will put in the show's notes to today's episode. Or even through that big website, you know, the one where a lot of people shop for a lot of things. Once you've pre-ordered the book, take a picture of your receipt. Just a quick snap on your phone will do. Just a simple screenshot. And go to the following address, tabletm.ag slash preorder. That again is tabletm.ag slash preorder. It's in tabletmag.preorder. Once we have your email address, we're going to give you two special gifts for being one of the first people to preorder the book. First, anyone pre-ordering the book will receive an invitation to an exclusive star-studded virtual event, and I do mean star-studded, where some of your favorite guests over the years and some surprise guests I know you're going to love will join me to discuss anything from the Talmud's ideas and fashion to marriage tips from the rabbis. And if that's not enough, we will also be raffling off 10 special packages hand-curated by yours truly that will make your Jewish journey more meaningful, more beautiful, and yeah, why not? More fun. So pre-order the book anywhere you'd like, snap a shot or a screen capture or any form of visual proof, and go to tablet. M, that's T-A-B-L-E-T-M, like Mary, dot A-G slash pre-order and fill a very simple, quick form. And we look forward to seeing you very soon as we continue to celebrate all things Talmudic. This has been Take One. If you enjoy the show, and I hope that you do, please go and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts and get your Take One t-shirts and mugs at tabletstudios.com. Each week, we will be releasing new episodes Monday through Friday, covering the entire weekly portion of Daf Yomi. 
Take One is a Tablet Studios production. The show is hosted by me, Leah Leibowitz, and is produced and edited by Daron Risquet, Quinn Waller, and Ellie Blyer. Our team also includes Stephanie Butnick, Josh Cross, Robert Scaramucci, Courtney Hazlett, and Tanya Singer. For more information, go to tabletmag.com slash take one. Subscribe to our newsletter at tabletm.ag slash take one newsletter or email us at take one at tabletmag.com. You can find us on Twitter at take one.fiomi or join our Facebook group by searching for Take One Podcast. I hope we have made your day a little more Talmudic.